up? I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. Donald Trump said this week that CNN polls about impeachment are fake, but a recent CNN poll conducted by the University of New Hampshire Survey Center has some good news for the president. Today's show was recorded live at the University of New Hampshire with Andrew Smith, the director of the Survey Center, about the recent poll. Welcome back, Andy Smith. Great to be here. Well, I appreciate you joining us again. Uh, President Trump has dismissed recent polls showing growing support for his impeachment, saying, I have read, the, I have the real polls, the CNN polls are fake, and the Fox polls have always been lousy, according to a USA Today article. The New Hampshire Survey Center, where you are the director, conducted a poll recently for CNN, and it appears to have some good news for the president relating to the impeachment issue. First, could you please describe the results of your research about the impeachment inquiry? And second, if you could please address the comment by the president that the poll might be fake. Let me address the second question first. Uh, it certainly wasn't a fake poll. We interviewed 1,266 randomly selected New Hampshire adults by telephone uh, in October 21st through the 27th, and we did this in partnership with CNN. And we asked a lot of questions on it, primarily about the New Hampshire primary and people's support for candidates in the primary. But we did ask a couple questions about uh, Donald Trump in general, his job approval rating, uh, and uh, questions about impeachment. Uh, with the questions about impeachment, I wouldn't say so much that it's good news, but it's not as bad as some of the news that's being reported in other national polls. Uh, when we ask people about impeachment, how much they've seen or read about the impeachment inquiry, 46% uh, say they've heard a great deal. Another 32% say, say they've heard a moderate amount. But 22% say they've heard little or nothing at all about this, which, meant, which means that there's still a lot of people in the, in the country that just aren't paying that much attention to this. And then when you ask people whether or not he should be impeached and removed from office, uh, 42% say yes, they believe he should be, uh, but 51% say they think that he should not be impeached and removed from office. The remaining 7% aren't sure. So it's, it's not as bad news as you see in some of the other polls, uh, but it's also something that it's really partisan, which indicates the partisan divisions in the country. If you ask Democrats, should Donald Trump be impeached? 82% say he should be. Only 15% say he should not be impeached and removed from office. Among Republicans, 89% say that he should not be impeached and re removed from office. Only 7% believe that he should. So it's, it's really lining up on the same partisan divide that we've seen on a whole range of issues that concern Donald Trump. But in New Hampshire, New Hampshire voted for Hillary Clinton by a slight margin, but voted for Hillary Clinton is generally now a Democratic state for the most part. What do you think, why do you think New Hampshire, even though it's a majority Democrat state, is really behind, like 42%, like you said, um, support impeachment versus, according to Real Clear Politics, the national average is just a little bit over 50% of the public support impeachment mm -hmm. versus the 42 in, in New Hampshire. What do you think causes that? Well, I think part of it may be the questions that are used. This is this question about impeachment is incredibly sensitive because most people in America still don't understand what impeachment means, even though we had one just a couple, uh, couple decades ago. Uh, most people think that impeachment means that the president is thrown out of office rather than he's just essentially been charged, formally charged with something and now is going to be brought up for trial. And uh, experimentation that was done back during the Clinton era found that uh, slight changes in the wording that were used to describe impeachment could have significant differences in the results. So if people, uh, there was a question that ABC used that asked, uh, should, um, if, if Bill Clinton is impeached, 
should he be, should he, uh, would it be better for the country for him to um, resign from office? And the alternate version of that question asked if Bill Clinton, if the House of Representatives sends articles of impeachment to the Senate, uh, should Bill Clinton resign from office or not? Well, if you ask it as if he were saying that he was impeached, you had about 20 percentage points more people saying that, yes, he should resign, even though those two questions mean exactly the same thing. People don't understand the, what, what actually impeachment is. And I think that's what's going on with this as well. You'll see different polling organizations use different questions, and you get some quite uh, differences in responses. The other thing is that in New Hampshire, at least, those people who are independents, that is, in their head, they're independents, not their registration, but uh, they are not going for impeachment. Uh, 35% believe he should be impeached. 49% think that he should not be impeached and removed from office. And then 16% of them are the ones who really don't know much about this at all. They're undecided. Do you expect the impeachment hearings, now that they're going to be public, to change the landscape a lot or not really? I don't think it'll change it that much because of the partisanship, the partisan divide here. We're not really seeing uh, Republicans drift away from Donald Trump. In fact, it's pretty staggering when you look at his uh, job approval rating among Republicans. Um, overall, his job approval rating in New Hampshire is 44% approved, 52% disapprove. But among Republicans, it's 85% approve, only 12% disapprove. And if you ask people whether or not Donald, they would vote for Donald Trump in a uh, presidential primary in New Hampshire, 86% of likely Republican primary voters say they would vote for Donald Trump. Um, Bill Weld comes in second at 5%. Uh, so what I thought was so interesting is when I'm looking at your previous polls from like 2017 when Republicans were asked who their 2020 primary nominee would be, a majority of them were unsure. So even though he's his disapproval ratings has sort of increased, the allegiance to him has grown substantially. It's it's pretty interesting. And, and to me, that's that's really a fascinating thing about human nature. Uh, we root for our political parties like we root for sports teams, and we will come up with ways to rationalize to ourselves that our skunk is better than the other skunk on the other party. And I think that's really what you're seeing now. And the more that Donald Trump is attacked, the more Republicans are likely to stick with him until it comes to a point where they can no longer defend him. But but I think. That's not anywhere near. Um, we saw the same thing happen in 1998 among Democrats. The more when when Bill Clinton was impeached, his job approval rating went up. Even among it certainly went up among Democrats. So this tribalism, this uh, uh, rooting for your team, is something that is fairly consistent in both American politics and going back through history, world politics. Now, your recent poll also shows that the issues Republican primary voters care about most has changed. In July of 2019, immigration was the top issue. And in this latest poll, jobs and the economy is the top issue. Can you, do you have a sense of why that is? Yeah, I think if you looked at the, what the campaigns or what Donald Trump is talking about, he's talking much more about the economy and the strength of the economy now than he was this summer when immigration was more in the headlines. And I think people respond to the headlines and they respond to what campaigns talk about. We saw similar things in the Democratic side. Uh, the, the two top issues for Democrats are health care and education, which is what most of the campaigns are spending most of their time talking about. So it, it, I think we have to be careful to think, uh, to, to, careful to remember 
which is the horse and which is the cart here. And I think it's the news coverage and the campaigns that are the horse and people are following what it is, what the, uh, the campaigns are talking about. Well, I noticed that um, even Democrats, um, their interest in the economy was increased in the recent poll. Do you think that public opinion about impeachment is influenced by news about the economy? I think it will be. I think that that's the, 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 really, the real Achilles heel for Donald Trump is the state of the economy. As long as the economy remains strong, it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to peel away Republican support because ultimately most people vote on their pocketbook. And if they've got, they're making more money and their job's going well and their business is running well, they're going to support the president who's in office at that time. Uh, but should that change and should the economy weaken and the stock market have a crash of some sort, then I think you'll see people starting to say, well, wait a minute, the economy isn't so good either. Um, then you'll see maybe some people starting to drift away from Trump. Now, switching gears to the Democratic primary, mm -hmm. in your latest poll, Bernie Sanders was in the lead at 21 percent, followed by Elizabeth Warren at 18, Joe Biden at 15, and Pete Buttigieg at 10. Joe Biden dropped nine points since your July poll when he got 24 percent. Do you have a sense of why that is? Was it the debate performance or what, what's your comment on that? Um, I think there's several things. First off, any polling in primaries this far out, and I still say this is a long way out and before the primary, before people really start to pay attention. It's Even though New Hampshire's primary is in February? Sure, sure. Okay. People will really start paying attention in January. Uh, they're really not uh, plugged into this yet. Um, but what, we're, what polls largely are, mem are, are um, measuring is name recognition. And that's why you saw Joe Biden being up near the top throughout the country and in New Hampshire, um, and Bernie Sanders, since he won in 2016, being up near the top, and Elizabeth Warren, even because she's from a neighboring state, up near the top. Um, I also would say, I'd be cautious to say that uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is in the lead. Uh, really, Sanders, Warren, and uh, Biden, they're all statistically tied with one another. But it is important to remember, to point out that uh, Biden dropped nine percentage points since July to now. That is a statistically significant drop. And I would say the reasons for that are, first off, now voters are seeing other candidates and campaigns and they're starting to evaluate other people. Biden's performance on the poll, on the stump has just not been very good. Uh, he, If you get to see a Biden event, it's kind of like watching somebody on a high wire who doesn't really seem to have their sense of balance. You're wondering if they're going to fall off. Um, and it's a little troubling there. And secondly, for me as a political scientist, the major thing that I'm looking at with Joe Biden that points out that he's having some significant difficulties in his campaign is his inability to raise money. Uh, he has raised money, you know, millions of dollars less than Pete Buttigieg, a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and Joe Biden is the former vice president. And his fundraising declined from the last quarter as well. Uh, if you're the front runner within the Democratic Party and you have the support of the Democratic Party organization, you should be outraising your opponents. And he's behind the other th the three other top candidates, Sanders, Warren, and Buttigieg. Well, he's behind in New Hampshire, but a national poll conducted for CNN by SSRS in October, maybe a couple weeks mm -hmm. before your poll, put Joe Biden at 34 percent, followed by Warren at 19, Sanders at 16, and Buttigieg and Harrison, uh, at Harris at 6. So 
What do you think explains the difference between Biden's performance dropped substantially, as you said, in New Hampshire, but at the national level staying at top? Is it is it the voting population in New Hampshire or is it the polling techniques? No, I don't think it's either of those. I think there's actually a campaign going on in New Hampshire, whereas nationally there isn't one. There aren't any campaigns going on in Ohio or Michigan or California or Florida, even these large states. The early states are where the campaigns put their efforts because they know that the momentum that they get from winning or coming in a, a, a good finish in those early states is going to propel them uh, into positions of winning in the later states. They're not bothering to campaign in these other places. So all that all that potential voters are hearing in these other states is what they see on television or what they happen to read in the paper. Here in New Hampshire, you've got people knocking on your doors, making phone calls to you. Uh, there's yard signs, there's billboards, there's all of the, 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 um, uh, the bric-a-brac of campaigns going on here. Um, you're not seeing that in other states. And that's why time after time after time, it's more important to pay attention to the early state polls than it is to the national polls. In fact, the national polls typically lag the early state polls by a couple weeks, and even longer than that, uh, this uh, far out before the primaries. Oh, that's interesting. Um, just quickly, I thought of something. Is, the, is results in Iowa, the first caucus is going to be in Iowa mm -hmm. a week or two before the New Hampshire eight, primary, eight days before, eight days before yeah. the New Hampshire primary. Are you going to do any polling after the Iowa caucus? Yes. Oh, that's going to be interesting. We, we typically do a, a tracking poll um, between you know the last couple days of the Iowa caucuses up through the New Hampshire primary. And does typically the Iowa caucus influence the outcome of the New Hampshire primary? Uh, it can impact it because there will be candidates who drop out after they don't, don't do well in Iowa. Uh, so that's going to shuffle the deck a little bit. Um, it, it does have an impact because it tends to set, it has a greater impact on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, it really doesn't seem to have much impact. In fact, there's never been a Republican who's won both the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary in the oh, same really? year. Unless, you know, an incumbent can do that. But if they're not incumbent, they've never won those two uh, since in the modern primary era since 1972. The electorates are too different. Democratic side, the difference is in Iowa, they have really low turnout, and it's typically just activists who show up. Their turnout in the Iowa caucuses this year will be somewhere in the 10 to 15 percent range. In New Hampshire, our turnout will be in the 40 to 50 percent range. So we have more regular folks here um, that are going to be influenced by things other than just the issue positions uh, of the candidates. Um, they're going to be paying more attention to look and feel the candidates, what happens in the last week of the campaign. Um, and, you know, because of that, the shakeup from Iowa, it's kind of, I, I use that as an example of like a snow globe getting shaken up and then the, the, the snowflakes kind of settle back to where they were before. It's difficult to see where that's going to shake down. Um, but it, it, because there are campaigns that have been going on in New Hampshire as well as in Iowa, it doesn't have as great of an impact as you might think. It has a much greater impact in states following New Hampshire than it does between Iowa and New Hampshire. Hmm. I have a quick technical mm -hmm. question. Um, when I looked at the um, at your CNN 2020 New Hampshire primary poll, the sampling error was plus or minus 3.3 percent, mm -hmm. and in 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 um, and, and at one point, it was plus or minus 4.1%. And a couple years ago, it was plus or minus 2.8%. My question is, how is the sampling error determined? And should people who are like looking at these polls like me pay attention to the sampling error? Sampling error, it, it, first off, sampling error can only be calculated if you start with a random sample of, of, popu of the population. Uh, 
Uh, a lot of surveys that are done nationwide don't start with random samples. Web-based surveys don't have random samples. You technically can't even calculate sampling error on those. But if you start with a random sample, sampling error is simply a function of the number of people that you interview. It's only the difference, the potential difference that there is between your sample and what would have happened if you had interviewed every possible person in your entire population. Um, so it's not even really an indication of accuracy. It's essentially like the the band, the error bands that are on that estimate. Um, Can I just ask a quick question mm -hmm. though? Why? So the the computer and the internet, with all its glory, cannot do a random no. sample. There's no random sample for. There's no way you can draw a random sample of t of uh, email addresses. It doesn't exist. Oh, that's uh, there's no, there's not even the equivalent of a telephone directory on the internet you could draw a sample from. So it's strictly, a f you can only calculate sampling error and use the central limit theorem, which is the underlying statistical um, model that allows us to even do this sort of inferential statistics. It only can be used if you use, if you start with a random sample. Uh, the other ones are what we would call convenient samples or non-probability samples. But it's, but overall, sampling error, margin of sampling error is only a function of the number of people that you interview. The more people that you interview, the lower your sampling error is. The fewer people you interview, the higher the sampling error is. It's probably the least important source of error in surveys. Um, because it only deals with that difference between what would have happened if you had interviewed everybody in the sample. It has nothing to do with non-response. So if you, uh, for example, uh, national polls are getting non-response rates of 95% or flip that around, response rates of about 5%, meaning only 5% of the telephone numbers that they call they get a completed interview from. We're up in the 15% or 20% because we're in New Hampshire calling New Hampshire people from the University of New Hampshire. Um, that's not calculated, that is not factored into margins of sampling error at all. Um, we can switch the order that we ask questions to people or the order that we read responses to people or make slight changes in the wording of questions and change the distributions of question results 20, 30, 40 percentage points. That's far greater than any issue with sampling error. So the whole, uh, the whole issue of sampling error versus non-sampling error is something that's difficult for most people to understand, but non-sampling error is far, far, far more problematic than sampling error. And there's no way for us to put a number hmm. on non-sampling error. We know it's this big black cloud that's, holding, that's floating around over top of your poll results, but it's very difficult to put a specific number and know when there are some problems with non-sampling error. You really have to do a lot of experimental work to understand that. Now, um, does a candidate's standing in the CNN 2020 New Hampshire primary poll that you just conducted at the Survey Center for the University of New Hampshire, does it qualify the candidates for the next Democratic debate? Yes, we are one of the polls that is considered a qualifying poll. And how is it that, I'm just curious, how did, did that happen? Did you like apply to be an eligible polling? or How, how did you get tapped on the shoulder to, to, to meet this criteria? Uh, I'd say the, the, the short answer is because we have been doing this for a long time and we partnered with CNN since I've been here in, in 2000 uh, during these primary polls and it's been 
a, the go-to poll in New Hampshire for 20 years, or and even before that. So I think it's reputation and the media organization that you're working with uh, is what makes it a, um, a, a qualifying poll. And they've typically not included web-based polls as qualifying polls because of those problems with um, them being non-probability samples. Um. Now, and, okay. and I should say, we've had no communications at all with the Democratic National Committee or anything like that. These were decisions that were made unbeknownst to me or unbeknownst to CNN. Perhaps I imagine CNN might have had some influence in it, but not to me. Oh, that's interesting. A lot of polling organizations after the 2016 election, when most people predicted Hillary Clinton was going to win, and of course she didn't, a lot of polling organizations had to do sort of a post-mortem mm -hmm. and have revised or um, you know tweaked their process. Tell me about the survey center's 2016 results and whether or not you had to do anything substantially different this time around. Um, yes, we have. We, we looked at our 2016 results because we showed Clinton with a larger margin of victory than she actually had. And we went back and looked at what we were doing and we found that we, had a, we were significantly underrepresenting people with only some uh, college education, in particular men with some college education. And that group was were some of the strongest Donald Trump supporters. So we typically weight our samples um, by different variables, demographic variables, when we know that there is a reason for us to suspect that there's an undersampling of one area and that it has an impact, it can have an impact on results. For example, we, we typically have more women complete surveys than men. Women make up about 52% of the adult population in New Hampshire. Men make up about 48%. But women typically complete about 56 to 58% of the surveys. So in order to balance that, we adjust the percentage of women and men in our sample based on the U.S. Census. Hmm. So we, we essentially multiply each woman times a constant to reduce their impact on it, and each man by a constant to increase their impact on the overall results. Oh, that's we interesting. also do that with age because older people are more likely to complete surveys than younger people. Um, uh, we do it also with um, region of the state because we don't want to underrepresent regions of the state. In other states that I've worked in, like for example, Ohio, which have significant African-American populations, we definitely wait by the race of the respondent because if you get the African-American percentage too high or too low because they vote so overwhelmingly Democrat, it can make a big difference in what your actual predictions are. In other states, I've waited by level of education. In New Hampshire, it's not made any difference. And my view has always been, if you have a variable that's not having any impact on your model, you should drop it from your model because it, you're just adding extra stuff in there, which could be statistical noise. So it's never had an impact before. This time it did have an impact. So we went back and created what we call an education weight, reweighted our data, including that education weight, and our results then mirrored what the uh, the, the uh, actual election results were. Uh, we also then went back to previous elections and weighted them with an education weight as well. It made no impact on those previous oh, elections. It was just unique to 2016, and I think to Donald Trump and the kind of people he was able to draw, uh, draw out the vote. Since that time, we've included an education weight routinely. Our 2018 uh, predictions of that election were pretty much right on, so I think that um, that has improved. And I think that's an important thing for your listeners is the reason that uh, survey researchers like doing election polls is it's one of the only times where we can look at what our 
predictions are and compare them to a real-world event. Because if I ask you just like job approval rating, there's no, there's no real measure out there that can measure Donald Trump's job approval rating. It's, it's a, just created right, by the yeah. polls on the fly. But it, with an election, there's a real result. Somebody is counting up the ballots. So that's why we like to do this to make sure that our, that our, that our methods are working properly. Okay, last question. Um, according to your poll, 38% of New Hampshire residents think the country is going in the right direction, while 58% believe we are off on the wrong track. What purpose does a question like this serve, and what does it say about the race in your view? Well, first off, it's a terrible question. Uh, <laughs> it uses railroad metaphors, uh, right track, wrong track. It's, uh, uh, it's not balanced. Uh, but Gallup has been asking the same question going back to the 1930s. Oh. And we know how it behaves when you uh, re re relate it into election years, or at least we, we did historically. If people think the country is headed in the right direction, the incumbent typically, typically gets reelected. If they think we're headed off on the wrong track, then the incumbent loses. That said, we've seen that there's been a huge partisan division in this, um, whereas um, like back in 2012, I was do, we did some research where we looked at a whole series of things. But for Democrats, um, they thought that the country was headed in the right direction and um, Barack Obama was doing a wonderful job. Republicans thought the country was going to hell in a handbasket and Obama was doing a terrible job. And even if you ask people that had the same economic things happen to them, lost a job, somebody living at home, their 401k goes in the toilet, they're a Democrat, country's headed in the right direction, Obama's great. If they're a Republican, country's going to hell and, and Obama's terrible. That's flipped around now. Republicans think the economy's going in the right, or the, the country's going in the right direction, it's doing great. Democrats think it's terrible. So it's so, it's so tied to partisanship now that I don't think it's as important as it used to be. But that said, it's one of those trends that we've been doing for 20 years here and it's nice to continue the trend. Well, Andy Smith, thank you so much. Thank you.